You're listening to The Retail Perch with Shaka Raman and Gary Hawkins. We're going to discuss industry challenges and opportunities in grocery retail, AI, current and upcoming trends, and so much more. Hey guys, uh, welcome back to another episode of The Retail Perch. Back here with my co-host Gary Hawkins. And you know, with summer is well and truly underway, Gary, right? It's heating up out there. Yeah, it certainly is. It's nice and hot here in Denver the last few days. It's up 95 or so. Wow, wow. I hope you guys out there are having fun. And I'm sure some of you guys are itching to travel now that, you know, mandates are starting to lift up. But uh, we're here continuing to bring in some amazing guests. I know we've had some great conversations the last few weeks, and we hope you guys are enjoying it. If you have any suggestions, do email us at theretailperchatbirdseye.com. And, you know, if you want us to, if you want to show up on the show, right, be a guest to let us know, you know, we'd love to hear from you. But today, I believe uh, we are doing a first, Gary. Yes. yes. We're actually, we actually have somebody from the continent of Asia, <laughs> right? Uh, I think this is the furthest away that, this, uh, that, that we've had a guest from. Am I right? No, I, I think that's right. So we had someone from Amsterdam on, right? A, a week right. or two back. Yeah. But Orly is certainly a first from uh, Israel and uh, should be a great conversation. Yes. And I think this is the first time, given all the buzz around e-commerce in the last 18 months, uh, I know Story AI that Orly is the founder of, doing some amazing things. So I'm looking forward to this conversation. I wanted to welcome Orly to this conversation. Hi, how are you? I'm fine. Thank you for inviting me over. Actually, oh, I've listened to some of your. Thank you for stepping in and showing up. You're a star. We've heard about you so much, so we can't wait to have this conversation. So, if you can kick us off and uh, kind of tell us a little bit about yourself, your background, where you where you come from, how did you wind up with Store AI, what was the motivation, so on and so forth. Go ahead. Yeah. So I'm Orly, and I'm the CEO at Store AI. I've been with the company for the past six years, pretty much from the very beginning. I started off as the VP product. And so just give me a chance to speak about our product and you'll have a hard time stopping me. I've spent uh, the last 20 years of my career in some of the most well-known startups in Israel with very cool technology, many in the retail space. Some actually have been acquired by companies like uh, NCR, like Apple. So uh, I, I also spend my time lecturing in, in universities around uh, product management, product design, and I mentor at Google Launchpad at Tel Aviv. Um, so, so that's about me. Wow. So, so educationally, early, what, what are you, what's your background? What you, oh, that's, that's really, um, I'm very interdisciplinary because I started off as actually as a textile designer, a fashion designer. And then I did my second degree in kind of the MIT of Israel. And, and then from then on, I spent the next 20 years in the high-tech industry. So you're bringing uh, fashion to e-commerce. I, I am actually. And I'm, I'm bringing a new perspective. Uh, and I think that anybody that moved you know, from different verticals brings a new, a new kind of insights and perspectives to the, to the field. And I think it's good. It's refreshing. Totally, totally. I guess, Gary, we know something about that. Yes, yeah, just a little bit. But I, I'd agree with Orly, what Orly was just saying, that I, I think it's both important and really timely to bring a fresh perspective to uh, grocery e-commerce, online shopping for groceries. You know, as, as we've talked before, 
I think a lot of retailers have taken advantage of their experiences over the past year plus during the pandemic. We've talked about the COVID pandemic as sort of a stress test for, for online grocery. And I, I think a lot of retailers have come away recognizing that there are some issues. I, I think a lot of issues are on user experience and other things. So I think someone like Orly bringing a fresh perspective to this whole thing is very timely. So early, did Doria start off in Israel? Was your first first few clients in Israel or in the United States? Yes, actually, you know, Story AI, just to, to give some insights, is an end-to-end digital commerce platform. And, and we focus, you know, we provide an e-commerce solution, which is very tightly integrated into the retailers, the grocers' internal systems. And that's crucial for grocery because they have those huge catalogs, very complex with changing inventories, pricing specials, and very powerful fulfillment solution, which is now becoming more and more crucial, you know, with, with this, this whole business scaling up. We did start this business in Israel. Israel is kind of our sandbox, but, you know, at the end of the day, we're serving eight out of the largest grocers in the country, each with hundreds of locations. So it started off as, you know, let's test it and come, you know, mature to the U.S. market. At the end of the day, we've actually have some pretty impressive customers here. That's fantastic. That's great. And you know, we've I've kind of followed your story and been very impressed with what you guys have done. Obviously, you know, we're excited about finding common places to work at here in the United States as well. But so what, what do you think makes StoryEye different? What's the how is it different from other e-commerce solutions out there? You know, there are a lot of aspects. I think that one of the, the important things that we're bringing to the table is the, the end-to-end approach. Many, I think, players in the market still see uh, the solution as an e-commerce solution. But e-commerce was the innovation of the beginning of the century. And what, what the solution that we're looking is starts, you know, starts with marketing, goes on to the e-commerce, to the fulfillment, and then merges into the in-store experience. And after the pandemic, you know, when, when customers are, you know, feeling, feel much more comfortable with this digital transformation, people expect to come into the store and get the same experience that they have online in the store. So it's funny, you know, when we started off and, and designed this platform really years back, we took a very deep look into the store and tried to digitize it digitize the real world into the e-commerce platform. And now I think that it's the, 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 opposite, the opposite thing is happening. If you look at Walmart, the way they design their stores, they, the inspiration comes from the online. And, and that's exactly what we're doing now, taking what, what we've learned in the e-commerce platform and bringing it into the in-store. So let's just, just bring some, you know, some real examples of what I actually mean. Just imagine that you're walking into the store with your smart cart and you're walking uh, through the aisles. And let's just imagine I'm a customer that is really, that I really like a certain pasta brand. As I'm walking next to that brand, I will suddenly get on my screen a pop-up with a coupon, with a special so it's, it's personalized and it's contextual to the position I am within the store. So it's as if you're getting this personal digital assistant walking next to you as you're shopping. And, and the same goes, you know, you're picking some, you know, a product off the shelf. You, know, you never know what, if it's on special or not. 
But if you're if it's two for 10 and you've just picked one, the system will actually tell you, hey, take another one instead of, you know, you checking out and then discovering that you didn't benefit from the specials. So it's like bringing all those experiences that we, we kind of feel very comfortable with online to the in-store experience. So what we're trying to do now is like kind of shift everything around and create and, and provide the same user experience, customer experience across all touch points. That's what we call putting the customer at the front, at the center. I think that's really important. And, and Shaker, you and I have talked about that a lot in the past, right? The need for is all these digital touch points have, have grown that retailers have access to, the need to bring them all together, unify them, provide a, a common user experience, communication, et cetera, across them. Yeah, I look at it as three buckets, right, Arlie? So I think data, experience, execution, right? So you have, you want to be able to pull together data from all sources, you know, so you can have a centralized intelligence platform. You know, the experience should be common in respect to where you're going e-commerce or in the store. That's kind of like emerging. And the execution needs to be leveraging the aspects of the data and the engagement to deliver an execution of wherever the customer chooses to execute on that promotion or coupon or information that's being presented to them, right? So. I agree. And, you know, and because e-commerce for years, really nothing was really happening in online grocery for years. It was kind of the black sheep of e-commerce and, you know, apparel was booming, consumer electronics, Every, you know, every expert was going around saying, oh, people are not going to buy food online. It's just not going to happen. And, and that's the reason. And it was such a small fragment of the grocer's business that it kind of evolved as a sidekick. You know, nothing, not. And, the, and what we see today is a fragmented experience. So you get one customer online and one customer in the store and one in the marketing communication. And what we're trying to do is bring everything together to what we call the customer first commerce. Again, the customer at the center, getting that seamless experience across all touch points. Yeah, and, and you know, one of the other things I found interesting when I look at Store AI is the breadth of the different partnerships and relationships that, that you've been able to bring together, right? to help retailers. So you mentioned smart carts just a minute ago, uh, but you know, partners both on, let's say the front end, you know, in the shopping experience, but also on the back end for last mile delivery, et cetera. You look at the e-commerce on the one hand we've built, and I mentioned it as I presented SelfPoint, those very strong integrations into the internal systems, the POS, the ERP, the loyalty uh, programs, but on the other hand, integrations into third parties. You know, we, we don't have to develop everything. And there are so many opportunities. And what we've this ecosystem of, of partnerships and integrations provide, it's like plug and play. You know, the, the retailer can um, have, have these building blocks that they can just make a decision. Okay, I want this last mile provider and I want this payment provider, and let's just put it all together and build the solution that is right for me. So basically yeah. layer blocks, they all fit into each other. And you guys have already pre-built these integrations. So it's, uh, it's, it's easy one, two, three for the retailer to put the model together into a solution. Right? Precisely. And when this business is growing, you every, you know, when we see it with our customers, it's, you know, our, this business today is 10% of an average of our customers 
which, you know, if we're talking a year ago, it was maybe 3%. So it's huge. And, 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 and it's suddenly becoming very strategic and they want, and they want to make the right decisions and they want to customize around their needs. So this, these building blocks, these integrations uh, enable them to do that customization, which is important, very. And I would also mention our fulfillment. You know, I've spoken about it. And you know, to my uh, objective and humble opinion, it's really the best solution around there. And when, again, when this business is scaling, operations and fulfillment is becoming so huge and so important, you, you, you can't waste time. So enabling our grocers to pick one to 12 orders at a time and split their store into zones and provide very powerful dashboards to manage the, these pickers is becoming a must, uh, mandatory. Right. So talking about fulfillment, so where do you think grocers can optimize to improve the profitability of e-commerce? Is, yeah. is it on the execution, the interface side, fulfillment, supply chain? Because I think, you know, when you think about real-time inventory, grocers have a tough time maintaining real-time inventory. And, you you know, I, I hear a lot of people talking about substitutions as being a problem of, of e-commerce and fulfillment, right? So how, where do you think that, that that's going? Well, there's so many places that this can be, it's like profitability and also scale up. It's a combination. Right. But, you know, the grocers have uh, the, these spaces that, first of all, we're talking about fulfillment. This is crucial. This is a crucial point. And, if the, and, and again, we're in, in our solution, and I see it's, it's trying to find all those points where pickers are wasting time. Just to give you an example, the picker just came to the shelf, and uh, one of the places where they're wasting time is that looking for a product that is out of stock. So with the algorithms that we have in split in place, we can predict that a certain product is going to be out of, out of stock. So we can alert the, the picker, hey, this is probably out of stock. So they won't spend that even half a minute, even one minute looking for that product, just moving along. And once this product, again, we find that it's being sold in the POS, again, talking about the integrations into our internal systems, then it's going to reappear. And, and you talked about substitution, another big, very big pain point. And it's not only in terms of, this is in terms of customer satisfaction. So just imagine that picker standing in front of the shelf and now they have to gamble. Which product should I put instead of the, the missing one, of the out of stock one? And what we, what, you know, the approach now today is to provide the picker with personalized options. So, you know, the picker doesn't know me, doesn't know my preferences, but the system and the AI algorithms do know it. So providing the picker with the best recommendation to replace it with, you know, makes the probability of the end customer being much more happier, uh, much higher. So, so this is just, you know, this is just, you know, two places, but uh, guiding the store, you know, putting in the planogram and guiding the store, the, the picker through the store and optimizing the picking route. These are all places where, you know, you can save time and hence the chances of, you know, uh, the, pick, the, the whole operations being much more profitable. Certainly efficiency 
And profitability is something that every retailer I talk to is focused on right now, as you called out, you know, as online has become a more significant portion of their total sales, the, the push is on now to make it profitable. At the same time, you know, retailers know you can't really save your way to success, right? That equally important and ultimately, I think even more important becomes the opportunity to continue to drive revenue, grow sales uh, through the online channel, through, you know, broader digital engagement and so on, which I think links back and speaks to this whole idea of user experience and consistency. Now, right. And I think there's also, a, there is a point where this business scales up to a point where starting to apply MFCs, micro-fulfillment centers, makes a lot of sense. So when you've reached the point where 20% of your business is already online or a certain store, that starts to clog the aisles with pickers. The store is, doesn't have, you know, they're, they're not replenishing the shelves quickly enough. And then it starts to make sense to build, you know, those MFCs and to and to create that hybrid operation where your best sellers, you know, your, your fast movers are in the MFC and all the slow movers and large items are still, or fresh items are still uh, picked in the store. And this is something that we are also doing, uh, working with MFC companies in order to build that hybrid solution, which I, which I believe, and I, you know, I think that everybody in the, in the market does, is really the future of where things are going as this business grows. Yeah. Uh, Orly, so you've got, I think, a pretty unique perspective on this whole space, given, you know, you're working across different markets. Would you say that the Israeli marketplace is more mature when it comes to grocery e-commerce than the U.S. market or maybe other markets that Store AI plays in? I think that, you know, if I, if I try to differentiate the markets, I think that uh, one of the, the the characteristics of the Israeli market is that they're very innovative, innovation savvy and technology savvy. So, so the fact that we have the sandbox of retailers that are fighting every time that we, we release a new feature, they're fighting over each other, who's going to be the first to try it out is, is amazing. And they're very, you know, they're very opinionated, they're very experienced. So the opportunity to have this, this audience these customers working with us and and building and calibrating the solution before we move it out to the U.S. is um, is great. In terms of maturity, it's I, I, I don't think there's a huge different uh, difference. So Shaker, there's something else that Story AI does or is involved with that we may not have talked about yet, but they've created a unique model over in the Israeli marketplace in partnership with Unilever, one of the big brand manufacturers. Early, if you would take just a minute and describe to me or describe to our audience, you know, what, what you're doing there, because I, I think there are parallels here with, you know, opportunities in, in other markets. Yeah. So, you know, what you see, I think that we see it all over that CPGs and wholesalers want to start the play, to stay at the play, the game of e-commerce and want to be part of it. And they want direct to consumer. And they're looking for solutions uh, to, to implement it. And what we've done, you know, with the Unilever, and this is kind of a global initiative, is what, you know, a few years back, what Unilever kind of detected is that, you know, people are shifting from doing those huge shopping in the Costco's 
into their local local grocery markets. And, and what they they found out that they have they have no visibility to what's happened in that independent grocers. So they started this program, which actually enable, which which has a, I think it has a, the mission is very nice, is helping independent grocers through the digital transformation. And and the truth of the matter is that the, the small players in the market have very little resources to do it themselves. They don't have the marketing capabilities. They don't have the the manpower and and even not the time to just stop and say, okay, I need to do it in order to survive in the future. So uh, what we've built is a hub, is um, and this hub really aggregates hundreds of grocers. So just imagine that you know it, I'm just describing the end uh, result first. Uh, the the end customer goes to this hub. It's called Chopo. They type in their address, and what they get is a set of all the grocers that serve their location, and they can select any one of them and be na- and navigate it to their website in order to stop this start the shopping. Now, what what does Unilever get out of the deal? Uh, Unilever gets all the information around their sales. They get all customer data. And this is this is unique. The, the opportunity to, you know, they're looking for direct to consumers. They're also getting very important inf- information around shelf replenishment. So just imagine that a certain Unilever product is just is, is off the shelf. With our picking solution and our algorithms, we can alert them, you know, live a push notification, you know, this product is missing. Your sales rep needs to call and, and, and send the box over. So these are things that can even operate, improve their operations. Now, another important thing is that it includes a lot of marketing capabilities. And we're talking about, first of all, inbound marketing. So Unilever has the opportunity to start advertising itself within this platform. And we're talking about hundreds of locations. So this is very, this is a very impressive. And what the, the retailers are getting in return, they're getting the marketing funds. So Unilever and many other CPGs in the country are advertising on the platform and, and pushing to those retailers the marketing funds. So this, the whole business becomes much more profitable. So Unilever gets a huge amount of data and the ability to market and, you know, in hundreds of locations. And on the other hand, the grocers are getting the opportunity to move online and, and to get the, this, these marketing and funds from the CPGs. So it's, it's a very interesting program. And, and, you know, during the pandemic, we've heard time after time, grocers coming to us and say, you've saved our lives, really. We would be out of business without this, uh, this taking place. So, you know, moving on from fulfillment to the actual technology and adoption of the technology. And obviously in the last 18 months, we've seen an explosion in terms of shoppers going to e-commerce and suddenly realizing that there's a whole new way I can get grocery. What do you see as, you know, if you were to look forward and say 18 months from now, what do you see as the evolution of e-commerce? Where, where is it going? We are doing, uh, Israel is unique in terms of the, the, the pandemic. You know, we're really over it because most of the, the population is vaccinated. You know, we are back to normal. So we are kind of the crystal ball, at least, you know, three, maybe six months ahead of the game. 
So, and what we're doing today is actually, and I don't have the results yet. So you'll, this is going to be an opportunity to, to get me. Right. <laughs> so we're doing a very interesting research with Oxford University on taking these results and really understanding, first of all, what happened during the pandemic and, and what is happening now when things are back to normal. And, you know, because that's the million dollar question, you know, everybody's asking, okay, you know, business was booming because of the pandemic. Now what's going to happen, you know, the exact same question you're asking for, asking about even in terms of, you know, the, um, is it going to, is it, there's going to be a very big drop in, in sales online? Are people going to back, to go back to the stores? It's going to be out soon. It's going to be very interesting what happens. I actually, you know, from the numbers that I see now, I don't see a big drop, surprisingly enough. There is a certain decline, but it's it's not dramatic at all. So, it, you know, it, it, people have got grown used to, to purchasing online and they understand. And now that they, they feel comfortable with it, it's, you know, they can save time. You know, it's always the busy mom in front of us. You know, she wants to save time. She wants the convenience and she can do shopping at 11 o'clock p.m., you know, when the kids are sleeping in bed. So, so that's in terms of you now what's going to happen in 18 months from today in e-commerce. I think, you know, I think that one of the, I hope that what's going to happen, what we see today, by the way, is that uh, the market is dominated by the giants, by the very big players in the market by Amazon, by Walmart, by, by Instacart. Instacart is kind of a service provider, but in the end of the day, they're a huge player with the $265 million uh, funding raise and the, the almost $40 billion valuation. They're, you know, they're becoming a threat. And, and what's happening today, you know, years back when Amazon acquired Whole Foods, the whole market panicked and, and many grocers made a decision to, to work with Instacart or the Instacarts of the world, you know, the, the, the lookalikes. And, and it, it, at that point, it made sense because it was such a, a small fraction of their business that, you know, it was okay. So it was okay to make a bad or a wrong decision because it didn't have a real influence on them. And as this business is growing, it, it's changing. And, and, these, and these retailers that are still working with Instacart uh, are first of all, they they don't have any control of their customers' data, and they don't have any control of their customers' loyalty. Now, I, I'm sure that you've you've both read the the Barclay report, and the Bark, which is great, really. Only I have you know I, I've I've really enjoyed it, very thorough. And one of the things that they've done is that they did a, a cross US survey, and they asked the, their, the end customers a very simple question: What happens if tomorrow morning favorite grocer that you shop at Instacart just disappears from the platform. Just imagine a Publix, yeah? And 43% of the, the, of the users, uh, of the, the respondents said, oh, we would just move to another uh, grocer. So it, it, it means that, you know, the customer's loyalty is to Instacart. And Publix, you know, just as an example, that worked so hard to bring all their customers online, just lost them for another grocer on the platform or for Instacart. And, and the last thing, which I think is the, 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 the most serious, is that these customers, these retailers are not building their logistical and technological sophistication. And, and when they wake up, it may be too late. And, you know, we all know the story of Toys R Us, you know, 
the in 2000, they outsourced their online business to Amazon. And, um, and it made sense, again, just that it, the way it made sense three years ago, because it was a very growing, a, a very grow, it was a high growing business, but it was tiny. So why bother? And when they decided to move the business back, it was, again, it was too late. So I, I really hope that grocers wake up and, and bring this business back home and make it their own. Where they're at the front, it's their brand. Otherwise, it's going to be a market that is going to be dominated by just um, a handful of giants. And I don't think that serves anybody, not the end customer and, and definitely not the grocers. Sure, sure. So what about, what about in terms of the experience? Do you think the experience is going to change? I mean, we, we had uh, on the podcast a few weeks ago, somebody talking about voice and uh, conversational commerce and how that might alter the shopping experience, the brand experience, so to say, right? Do you, do you see that playing a big part uh, going forward into e-commerce, screenless commerce, if you will? Well, I, I don't think it's in the next 18 months. And, you know, I've, um, I've had a lot of experience with voice interfaces, and I think there's so many challenges there. It's the first interaction is very simple when you, you ask the first, the first, you know, when you, the first interaction, but it's still not conversational. That's the problem. And I don't think that any player in the market today solved this, this, this issue and it, there's still a way to go. So I think it's, it's like, it's limited in terms of what we can really achieve from it. You know, like um, Scotty, beam me, uh, beam me over. It's like, it's, it, it's not there yet. <laughs> right, yeah, right, right, so, right. But, but so you see mobile and the web really still dominating with dominant ways of interacting with, with the service, right? Yes, I, I do see it, but I think that there's going to be there's going to be a lot of calibrations and a lot of additions. You know, if just let's talk about you know we we talked about you know the this blending of the online and the store. So just imagine, you know, what of what are the things that you know customers hate the most is standing in line. So if you could just take your mobile app that you and and just pre-order from the specialty department, from the butcher, from the from the deli and come over to the store and just get that notification without standing in line, it's like a dream, it's, it's a dream. It's, 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 it's making, using those digital tools, making the in-store better. Or, you know, even the endless aisle, which, you know, people have been spoken, speaking about forever, but I do believe it's, it's, it's a very big thing that is still waiting and is going to burst out because one of the, the, the strong things about grocery is the retention. People come, you know, come to, to buy in the store four times a month. Now, there's no website, no other vertical where customers are coming to a, a website in that frequency. Right. So, so using these, the, this, this, this grocery platform to uh, enable, you know, consumer electronics, uh, apparel, to sell everything in that grocery shop. Suddenly the grocery shop becomes a mall. And, it, and, it, and you're, if you're talking about profitability, that may be a, a major key because they're like selling their store space, their digital store space to many, many providers and, and getting you know, revenue from that. So that can actually fund, you know, the whole business. Right. I mean, the other the road to profitability could also be with private label, right? So, which is, 
uh, is the retailer, I think, especially among the millennials, they don't care so much about the brand names as much as they do about transparency and quality of the product that they're buying. And clearly, you know, retailers, and we've seen it at Kroger, their private label has exploded, you know, same with Wegmans and a lot of the stores that I go to shop at where, you know, my wife goes to shop and she doesn't mind picking up the store brand because she doesn't see a difference between that and a, you know, a CPG brand. Clearly, there's more profitability. So I'm wondering if e-commerce becomes a vehicle for retailers to push private label more from the perspective of, uh, you know, differentiating bigger margins. And you know what, if I can do 50% of my volume on e-commerce on a private label, this becomes a profitable business for me, right? That could be a viable option, right, Gary? No, absolutely. That they could be a real game changer. And right. I, I think the, you know, again, for good or bad, the bigger retailers understand that opportunity and I think are, are moving in that direction. I, I think it's up to the smaller re- retailers, regional retailers now to uh, identify and, and go after that opportunity, right? To leverage the different tools they have to promote their private label product across all their different types of digital engagement and absolutely within the whole online shopping uh, experience. It's true. Actually, one of the largest, the largest retailer grocer in Israel are promoting their private label very aggressively online and doing an amazing job with it. The customer experience, there's nothing, there's nothing changing. All you're doing is buying a different product. So technologically, you don't have to do anything. You just got to figure out how do I put this front and center, you know? And, uh, right, right. But Shaker, to your point, those, those points of margin difference, right? You know, an additional three, five, 10 points or even more of, of margin can absolutely make the difference between online being unprofitable or at best break even versus a profitable line of business for for retailers yeah because honestly until i think uh, pre-pandemic e-commerce was more a defensive strategy which is i need to have e-commerce because i don't want to lose customers but you were losing money on it but it was kind of like you know this is my this is the only way i stay in business right to where now it's become a necessity and now you got to seriously think about how do i make this profitable because it's a large enough chunk of my business that i can't afford to be losing money on this and and i have an interesting you know just to raise a question here you know, I've, and I've heard it from a grocer just a few days ago. And they said, you know, profitability, not interesting. And they said, grocers have so many categories in which they're losing money. Like they said, like, we're losing money on the, on the, the, on the meat department, on the fresh meat department. We're losing money on the baby uh, food department. And, but we still keep it on. Why? Because customers are not going to walk into the store with have, without having these two categories. Right. So he said, and, and, I, and he said, in my opinion, e-commerce is becoming very similar to that category. Right. A, a retailer cannot, it's part of the service they provide. So if it's, if it's not profitable, it still needs to be part of, right. uh, part of the business, part of the service. And it's, I'm just, you know, it's a thought-provoking, I hope, direction, but but I think that now it's coming of, it's like, it goes without saying. And I think that in terms of when you have that, when you have e-commerce and you're applying it into your, the stores which have less revenue are not performing as well as the others, suddenly it's bringing in a lot of revenue, it circulates the inventory, it does a lot of good, good things to customers, uh, customer service. 
So there's a lot of side benefits that are, you know, that exist there that I, I'm not sure that today are calculated into those, you know, kind of profitability. Uh, Right, right. I guess, I guess what we're talking about is the halo effect, right? So a shopper who goes and shops online and also shops in the store, are we leveraging data from one experience into another, right? And then magnifying the, the ability to do that. And, and, and so you may be losing money in one transaction, but the net gain is higher, right? So uh, I guess that's, those are the things we're going to look at. Gary, as, as usual, you know, we've been having a fantastic conversation and I think, uh, you know, we've got so many people lined up to come back for a second round of this podcast that I think we're going to be busy for the next couple of years. And, and I think we're, we're going to have to add Orly to that list and, and uh, certainly to speak about the study that she just referenced uh, that they're doing in Israel. Yeah, that should be fascinating. That should be fascinating. So, uh, so early for, you know, apart from going to store.ai and uh, people who are out there listening, retailers who are listening, want to get in touch with you. Uh, what's the best way to reach you guys? Use our website. It's exactly store.ai, the way it's written next to my name. Just type this, this address and the website will appear and you can schedule a demo and you can also contact me directly. It's orally with a double O-R-L, double E at Store AI, and you can send me direct emails directly. So I would really love to contact anybody who has questions and would like to learn more about the platform. Yeah, I can, I can vouch. I've seen a demo of, uh, of the Store AI platform. I think it's pretty amazing, certainly worth uh checking out and and i think like to gary's point it's a very broad platform right it, it's end-to-end digital commerce uh and very exciting so anyway i wanted to thank you again for coming on the show it's taking 45 minutes of your time and talking to us and the audience about this I'm definitely going to get you back i need to know what's on that oxford university study here in the next couple of months. <laughs> well thank gary, you so much for inviting me and it was just as fun as i expected oh Absolutely. And, and you know, what you want to do is you want to make sure you send us your mailing address. I know it's in Israel, but we'll try to get it to you, but you'll get a coffee mug with the retail perch logo on it. So you make sure that when you come you'll back. Official, oh, nice. Right there. You back, get an official retail perch mug. Yeah. That's right. Actually, so, I'm yeah. spending most, you know, most of my time today now in the U.S. So, um, uh, there you go. So you you kind of save us a little bit on shipping then. So. Exactly. That's how, that's me. <laughs> you spend a couple okay. of thousand bucks, we save a couple of bucks. That seems like pretty <laughs> Anyway, listen, thank you so much for uh, for thank being you. on the show again. I wanted to thank all the listeners for, you know, listening to us week after week. I know we cut up some jokes and I hope you appreciate some of them, but along with, but what we're really here for is interesting conversations with people like Orly. And again, if you have any questions, uh, do email us retailperch at birdseye.com. You can contact Gary and me on LinkedIn. You know, we're out there, right? Uh, Gary, anything before we wrap up here? Uh, no, as, as I knew it was going to be a great conversation. So Orly, thank you for joining us today and we'll look forward to getting you back. Yep. And again, I also wanted to thank Stephanie, uh, who's the producer of the show. You know, all this happens because of Stephanie. Gary and I just show up and have a fun conversation, but she does all the work. So thank you so much, Stephanie. <laughs> and okay. uh, we'll talk to you guys. You guys stay safe. Enjoy the summer and have a great rest of the week. Thank you. Thank you. Make sure to join us every Monday and connect with us at The Retail Perch on Instagram and Facebook. 
And if you have any questions, feel free to email us at theretailperch at birdseye.com. Until next time, this is Shaker. And this is Gary, signing off.